The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 152 for the week of February 17th, uh, 2020. Alex, happy President's Day. Happy President's Day, Rob. Uh, this is the day when we get an extra day off work. Absolutely. And, of course, you are dressed up in your, your best Lincoln garb today with that suit and the, the beautiful, was it 10-gallon hat? Is that what they call that? Four score and seven years ago, Rob. Keep going. Uh, that, that's all I Our know. forefathers. Yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. I'm, yeah. I don't know I, that I ever had to memorize that. That's, you know, one of those things I think some people have to memorize for school. I, I, I don't know uh, if I memorized it. I, I definitely knew it pretty well in, I don't know, fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. Um, I am actually halfway through watching Lincoln right now, that 2012 Ooh. movie with Daniel Day-Lewis. So far, pretty interesting. It, uh, it was, I started it a little bit late last night, so I'm going to finish it up today. Is Lincoln your favorite president, Rob? Um... I don't know. I think Washington is my favorite president. Yeah. Because because that guy had the opportunity to basically become the king. And he's like, nah, I'm good. And he like just quit after two terms. He's like, eh, I'm ready to retire. <laughs> it's been hard. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's not a lot of people in the history of humanity who have had the chance to, you know, be a, a monarch and kind of just gave it up. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, Congratulations. You? Do, you have, do you have a favorite president? You know, um, I think Charlton my... Heston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, that my favorite president is probably Woodrow Wilson. Oh yeah, uh, just just because of the name, you know, I, you know, Wood oh, and Woodrow. Yeah. Woodrow no, and, no, I, yeah some, I, I get it. I, I had that as a nickname <laughs> in high school. Some people called me Woodrow, so I get it. Well, well, good. I'm glad you had a good reason for yeah. your favorite one. I, I, I have no idea what Woodrow Wilson did in terms of his actual presidency. You know, was he good or bad? I don't, I don't know. But so the it's, college, it's all in a name. The the college I went to. So excluding current day presidents. Uh, could you did you have an idea who the worst president has been? There's a, there's kind of a meme about who the worst one is. Do you, who, do you know? Yeah, who it is? I, I I have seen that meme, but I don't remember off the top of my head. So uh, it's it's well, it's known to be Herbert Hoover because of the Great mm. Depression, and they yeah. kind of people blamed him for it. Well, I the college I went to, he actually went to that school. Um, you know, well, well, you know, hundred years before me or whatever. Um, and uh, and they're kind of proud of it there. It's really an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting mix. Like you know, the the, the hall there is it's Hubert Hall or uh, Hoover Hall. Um, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of talking about this guy. And when I went there, I'm like, oh, he seems like a good guy. And then later in life, I'm like, like, like maybe not such a great president though. Well, but he's your not great president, Rob. There you go. Right there, you go. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. Um, we do have some housekeeping. As a reminder, we have a Slack channel. Lots of great conversation. A ton of conversation this week. Um, we're going to need to have a Slack message of the week here pretty soon. We are. I just noticed that, Rob, <laughs> that there's not anything on the list, so we're going to have to figure that out. Well, magically, before we get to that part of the podcast, we will have that answer. We uh, will. If you want to join the Slack channel, though, uh, there's a link on the the website. You can go click to, to get in there, and we'd be happy to have you join us and uh, have some great conversations. We're getting close to 1,300 people in there. Pretty cool. Uh, we also have a mailing list if you would like to have the show notes delivered to your inbox every week so that you know exactly what happened on the podcast and when it is released, sign up on the website, colorado-security.com. I also added a new form on there, Rob, recently. Um, if you want to get something on our events calendar, there is a form now where you can submit something for us to put it on there. If you are not a bot, <laughs> we would love for you to submit to that form. 
Uh, we would love you guys to get down there, and you don't need to tell us that such a thing as CAPTCHA exists. We know that. Right. It's it's one of it's on the backlog. It is on the product backlog. Uh, next, we would love it if you'd rate us and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you know that the more ratings we have, the more folks will know about the podcast. We'll get new listeners. That's good stuff. But also, you could tell a friend. Um, let, let folks you know that let know about the podcast, and maybe get them to come listen and give us money. Yeah. After you tell them, you can also say, hey. You know, it would be great if you signed up for the Patreon campaign for Colorado Equal Security to help them uh, cover the costs that it takes to run this whole giant campaign that we have. Um, (laughs) You can find more information about the Patreon campaign on the website as well. Um, If you sign up at certain levels, you will get cool swag delivered to you in the mail from us. All right. That's going to be it for housekeeping this week. Um, let's go ahead and move into the news. Number one, there is a company in Boulder called Misty Robotics that's helping companies make robots that will can be front desk workers. Yeah. Um, this is actually a company that spun out of Sphero, um, which I, I hadn't heard of the Misty side of this, but, um, you know, Sphero is the, the more well-known uh, robot company out of Boulder. You know, they do the, uh, the BB-8 robots and things like that. Um, but the, the Misty robots, um, this is, I mean, I guess it's, I don't want to say it doesn't do anything, but it is not where you think like, oh, this is a robot that has a, you know, is moving around and has arms and, you know, is, is moving stuff. It's more, um, you know, kind of just, it, it does move, but sitting there waiting for someone, helping them, um, you know, checking people in, d- doing other things like that. It's absolutely adorable though. I'll say that. <laughs> what was it like 14 inches tall? I think. Uh, something like that. And the uh, so the Misty Two robots, what we're talking about, it costs about twenty nine hundred dollars to get one of these guys. Uh, it comes with an open source uh, programming application on it that you can use to do things like be a front desk person at a hotel, um, kind of call it call center type type stuff. That but it, it's really meant, I guess, not call center. It's really meant to be uh, human facing, right? It has to have right. a human in the room with it. I think. Yeah, I think one of the other um, examples they gave was you know checking in like at a medical facility or, um, um, you know, retirement home or something like that, you know, meeting people at the front desk. Uh, one of the things they also noted is that, um, you know, this is the, the sort of position that, um, at least in the news, people have said is hard to fill. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know, for a mere $2,800, you could have this robot and not have to hire somebody to sit at the desk. And, and I bet you could use this to be your friend. So $2,900 for a friend, that's not too terrible. Seems like a bargain, Rob. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on. We have some some bad news. A, a cold wind blows in, Alex. Ooh. Uh, yes. Uh, sadly, the Chinook Tavern um, in the Tech Center has closed. Uh, this was a sort of a mainstay uh, down there by Fiddler's Green. The OWASP chapter had their meetings there for a long time. Yeah. Um, we had an ISSA meeting or two there over the yeah. years, too. Um, German restaurant. They had been there for it was like twenty five years. Well, they've been, or, or in been that around location since two thousand eleven, but then they were in like Wash Park or something for twenty years before that. Yeah, so uh, very sad. Um, the tax it, man gets his money. Yeah, so there, if you want some of the things that were in the restaurant, there's going to be a tax auction in a couple weeks. Yeah, sad stuff. I I, I got to be honest though. It was a couple years ago, I I read a um, Denver Health report that gave them a, an F for some health violations. And ever since then, I've been, I've been kind of unwilling to go there. Anyway. Yeah. So, well, so there's that. Well, in some other uh, happy and I guess sort of sad news, depending on how you're, you're looking at it, uh, a judge has ruled in favor of the T-Mobile Sprint merger, 
which means that Dish Network will be able to step up to be the fourth major uh, telecom uh, mobile device carrier in the country. We've been talking about this story for, well, man, it seems like a couple of years now, but probably a, a year or so. And there's just this, I think this was the, really the last legal hurdle for them to get through. Um, so Charlie Ergen said in his statement um, that it's going to allow Dish to build out their plan for 5G. It's going to serve 70% of the U.S. population by June of 2023. So just a little bit under three and a half years from now, probably uh, here in Denver, we're going to have a great Dish Network 5G network. Yeah, the, the headquarters for the mobile carrier is going to be right by my house, so pretty cool. That sounds pretty good. I, I should get good cell what service. Like 2,000 jobs were guaranteed as a part of this? I think so. Yeah, well, hopefully you get one of those guaranteed jobs. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's one of the good ones. Uh, next, consider you know talking about local telcos, CenturyLink is considering selling off its consumer business. Yeah, and we talked about this one last year as well. It was mentioned at, at one of their quarterly earning calls. And uh, again, at the most recent earning call, they said that they are still considering this. Um, I think that they completed sort of the investigation phase, but didn't really get more details beyond that. Basically, they're just looking for uh, whatever makes sense for them to be more profitable. Uh, there was a, a quote from their CEO in here talking about their 2020 priorities. And I, I thought this was interesting. Um, in this really short paragraph, just like two sentences, they're going to transform operations, blah, blah, blah. But then they say they're going to continue to invest in growth for the enablement of products such as embedded security, dynamic connections, cloud application management, and edge computing. So security was the number one thing on their new platforms they're trying to offer. That's cool. I also like how he started the quote. Um, you know, he was talking to reporters and he said, hey, you'll notice that our 2020 priorities look a lot like our 2019 pr priorities. Um it, my embellishment here, dummies. <laughs> um, we, we set a, a strategy and we're following it. Yeah, he seems like he's pretty committed to that, which, which sounds good to me. Hopefully they have some success uh, based on this. Uh, next, um, Rob, did you know that in March there is something called March Madness? Um, no, what's that? Well, it's actually a basketball tournament. Is it, but Is this, a, is this um, a, some kind of coronavirus <laughs> offspring that's coming? It, it very well could be this year. Um, but no, um, and... In, when that time comes around, there are lots of other people that sort of copy that same thing and do their own sort of tournaments. We should do that. Uh, we could do like, that. Like a, a top 64 security people in Denver and just like make them battle to the death. Um, we, we can give everyone foam swords. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but uh, there's, there's a uh, website called uh, Colorado Inno, and they are doing their 2020 Tech Madness finalists. So they're doing a tournament of Colorado startups uh, to pit them against each other, um, it seems a little bit uh, loose on what, how it is you would pit them against each other. But basically, <laughs> uh, you would get to vote for the, the two that are against each other until finally someone wins in the end. Are there any interesting companies on this list, Alex? There are some interesting companies on that list, Rob. Uh, actually, there are lots of interesting ones, but there are two that I thought were the most interesting. Uh, one was CyberGRX, and the other was Stackhawk, two of the local... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the local Colorado security startups. Uh, uh, that's good stuff. There are a bunch of other names on here that we know. We've talked about like Boom Supersonic in the past. Um, Conga's on the list. Uh, who else? Full Contacts on the list. Guild Education. Um, a lot of good stuff on here. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Sphero, we just talked about that. They made the on list. There. Yep. So uh, you can check that out with the, the link in the show notes. And um, I believe this week or uh, potentially next week, they will actually have a reveal of the actual the bracket. Oh, um, that was March 5th. Uh, sure, sounds right. And then, <laughs> um, 
and then uh, and then you'll be able to see the, the rules and how you can vote on the different uh, folks in the in the bracket. So sounds good. And of course, we will give you all the information you need in order for us to stack the bracket for the security companies to win. Uh, moving along here, there is a MIT study about a, a voting app that Denver used in, in the 2019 election. It's called Votes. Was it V-O-A-T-Z? Correct. Which is pretty awesome the way yeah. they spelled that. Um, but the MIT study, believe it or not, did not show that this was an unhackable, super secure voting application. Rob, I am shocked. Shocked, I say, that there is a voting app that is insecure. Um, the The interesting thing is that uh, Denver used this uh, for for military uh, voters who were out of the country, and I, I want to say that in the last election there were only about three hundred people that they they had used the app. And strangely, there were twelve thousand votes that came through the votes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a joke. This is all alleged. Uh, but um, but then they also they they said that because of the app turnout um, was much higher for those folks as opposed to them having to write it on paper, scan it in fax it or you know some other weird old technology so i guess there's trade-offs right yeah so alec before we started recording today we were talking a little bit about election security and mobile voting it seems like it's coming at some point um i guess the only way you can really push people to figure it out is by you know starting with these little experiments hopefully we can uh we can figure out ways to do it in a secure way or at least a non-repudiatable way so that you know if it does get altered we have the ability to go back and get some consistency and figure out what it should have been in the first case. Um, votes, of course, pushed back pretty hard on MIT study, and they said that MIT was using an old version of the app, and they they had made some assumptions on the back end that weren't true. Uh, MIT's response is, hey, we used a version of the app we could download from the Play Store. It's not yeah. like we made it up. Um, so who knows what's exactly going on here, but it does, you know, it's interesting to know that the app Denver used uh, was in the news. So, yes, so Votes said, hey, our, our app was bad and insecure before, but it's fine now. Don't worry about it. Um, there was a quote in there also that said, said that people were excited that this, um, this happened because getting more eyes on this and testing it is the way to make stuff better. It sure is. Uh, next story we have is actually the official, uh, launch announcement for Randori, um, and their, what is it? Their red team service that they're selling now, right? Yeah. So a couple months ago, they released the first of their services, um, which I, uh, Randori recon, um, which was to to discover the assets that you had out there that they could potentially attack. And now they've released the second module, which is Randori attack, which then can in a more automated manner, go out there and potentially attack those resources to see where your vulnerabilities are. So the article says Randori is a Boston based security company, which just sucks. Come on now, let's get that fixed. Uh, at least, you know, one of the co-founders we've had on the show, uh, Moose, uh, local, local here in, uh, in the Denver area. Um, and of course we like to think of these guys as, as a Colorado company. Yeah, I agree. They just need to keep getting more of that, uh, momentum out here and less of it in Boston. Uh, next there was a blog post by red canary talking about pups. Uh, what's up? A, a I mean, obviously a small dog. Yeah, what else is a pup? That's my favorite kind of pup. <laughs> um, uh, a pup is a potentially unwanted program, Rob. Uh, so these are things that are not inherently bad, but could be potentially bad. Um, this broad post is actually pretty interesting. Uh, one of the things that I pulled out of it, um, as we know, um, pups are not necessarily bad, but but they said they ran the numbers based on their customers and um, customers who had a larger number of pup detections could see five times the amount of malicious or suspicious detections 
compared to environments where there weren't those pup detections. Yeah. So I, an example of a pup is, um, I don't know if you know caffeine. It's a it's an application people will install on their Linux based, you know, a Mac machine to keep it active so that the screensaver and lock will uh, never come yeah. on. So that's one that, you know, it's not it's not a virus, it's not malware, but it's potentially unwanted, right? And you know, I see examples of this throughout my environment and it gives you something to, to go get better at. Yeah, I think something else is, you know, programs that can be used in a legitimate way, but also could be used in a bad way. Something like, you know, VNC or something like that. It could be that that's legitimate that someone is remote controlling that device, but it could also be um, a bad person doing bad things. All right. Uh, next, we have a blog post from Optive this week. The Ask Optive uh, uh, blog series, which is apparently like kind of like Miss Manners, where you write in to ask about your favorite uh, topic. And, and this week's or this ep- this in- instance of the blog was around um, AI and asking the question. Um, with attackers using AI, is AI as defense the only way to defend your environment now? Of course, Rob. Everyone needs to go out and get their own artificial intelligence bot so that they can fight off the attackers. Well, that was fast. Done. <laughs> Summary. Uh, well, it's a little bit more nuanced answer than what? that, right? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm a little bit. Uh, I'll say a little bit torn on this article. Um, I, and you know, in general, on the all the talk around AI, while AI and using computers to do things that uh, people aren't good at is great. I think that we really need to for, focus more on actual good solutions as opposed to how we get to those solutions. Yeah, I think that the the key for me is trying to spend less time talking about the technology. So AI is you know a type of technology and more time understanding exactly what problem we're trying to solve in a more detailed way and then, and then creating a framework to help you know support those solutions and, and ai certainly can help within any of those silos but man you don't you don't need ai to, to be effective um you, you you might need ai to get more efficient right and that's and i think efficiency is way after you've kind of solved the problem then you get more efficient at it i think the other thing is um it's probably important for product vendors to embrace ai so that their products can become better however the average security team probably isn't going to worry about using AI directly to do any of their operations. You know, they may use some product that uses AI on the back end, which is great. Um, but again, it's, it's all about the outcome, not yeah. really how you do it. And for the for the security team, all they're thinking about is which of these products best sort of accomplishes my goal. And and whether it's using AI or not doesn't matter. Now, right. for, to your point, the vendors might want to use AI because they can better accomplish goal that way. But from a security team buying, I don't need to say AI on your on your box. I just need to know that your your box does what it's supposed to do better than your competitors. Yep, exactly. All right, last news story is uh, is actually a pretty good one here from ThreadX. Um, we had, we talked. It feels like a month or so ago we talked about the new OWASP API top ten. Uh, ThreadX spent some more time diving into that top ten and, and really kind of comparing it to the the application web security top ten and you know where the differences are and, and kind of what the learnings there are. Yeah, and this blog post was by uh, Chris Brezunis, who we actually interviewed on the show, and uh, I think it's actually a really good in-depth look at the the two different lists, the uh, OWASP API top 10 and the regular OWASP top 10, comparing them with each other, uh, looking at where there's similarities and where there's not, and then getting into some of those details. So if you are interested in API security, which everybody should be, uh, then I'd say check that one out. All right. Well, that is it for the news. Let's go ahead and move over to the Slack message of the week. So big thanks to Andre Gata for sponsoring the Slack message of the week. Uh, each week we get to pick one person from the Slack community to get a $25 uh, credit towards buying something from the Colorado Equal Security store. And of course, it's all new logo inf- uh, data now, not data, um, items now. 
So, uh, of course, the winner gets to pick something awesome and new. Yeah. Uh, also, as a public service announcement, if you had a link to the Colorado Equal Security uh, logo store previously, make sure to go back to our website because the logo or the uh, URL is slightly different now. So uh, if you have the old link, it still will take you to, to old logo merchandise. Um, anyway, the winner this week is Douglas Brush. Congratulations, Douglas. Um, he posted an article uh, talking about the CIA um, buying the crypto AG company. And so this was a, a company that uh, was sort of the leading company in providing crypto services. And uh, at one point, the CIA, CIA, instead of trying to backdoor them, just bought them. And then back toward them. So when the U.S. government talks about Huawei and why we shouldn't put them in our critical infrastructure, they speak from experience. Yes, they know how this works. They they understand this, and they don't want backdoors. In this their is a equipment. playbook that yeah, they have seen run. Good. Well, congratulations, Douglas. You know, pick something awesome from the store. Looking forward to seeing pictures of that on the Slack channel. Let's go ahead and jump over to events. As a reminder, we have an event calendar. You can go out and see what's coming up here in the next six months or so, uh, and what's coming up the next two weeks, Alex. Before we get to the next two weeks, uh, Snowfrock tickets are on sale. Uh, this is the local OWASP um, AppSec conference that happens every year. So check that out, get a ticket, and uh, be there on uh, March 5th. That's good. Uh, coming up this week on the 18th, CSA is doing their February chapter meeting. Also on the 18th, Emerging Tech Fan is doing a co-event with IoT Colorado. By the way, this is... These two weeks are, once again, <laughs> super packed. So a third item on the 18th, Northern Colorado is doing their cybersecurity professionals meetup. Uh, also on the 18th and the 19th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their February chapter meetings. Hey, I'm just going to do this whole day, Alex. <laughs> on the 19th, we've got the OWASP February meeting. We've got the DENSEC get-together that evening. And also during the, uh, during the day, ISSA Denver is doing the Women in Security event. You know, Rob, there's also a lot of stuff on the 20th. <laughs> Uh, the IAPP is doing their Denver Knowledge Net, Mr. Young AI, a case study in designing for privacy on the 20th. ISACA Denver is also doing their February chapter meeting on the 20th. And ISSA Denver has a privacy special interest group. So unfortunately, that's an invite-only event. If you're interested in going, you should reach out to the leadership of ISSA Denver. But it looks really good. Not the one on the 20th. That's the one on the 24th. Oh. I'm not quite there yet. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. You are. Keep going. All right. Well, on the 21st, uh, SecureSet is doing a beginner capture the flag. Uh, on the 22nd, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing a mini seminar. On the 24th, ISSA Denver is doing a privacy by design workshop that's invite only that looks really good. Uh, it's a, I think it's a full day event. And if you're interested in going, reach out to the ISSA Denver leadership. On the 26th, ISC Squared Pikes Peak Chapter is doing their February chapter meeting. We got another busy day. The 27th, we've got SOAR with Swimlane. That's the local company doing an event at the Highland Tap and Burger. We've got uh, at RSA Conference, Salesforce is doing an event for Colorado Equal Security. And on the 27th as well, we've got SecureSet doing Using Vault to Better Protect Your Secrets with Bryce Verdier. Uh, we also have a few events on the 28th. Uh, DerbyCom. That's with an M. This is the offshoot of local organizations from DerbyCon, since the conference no longer exists, uh, is doing their February meeting. And also, uh, DC303, uh, the DEF CON local group, is doing a monthly meetup on the 28th. And finally, the 28th through the 1st, Colorado Springs is doing the Cyberspace Jam events. That's a three-day thing. I don't know what's going on, but it sounds pretty fun. It's jamming. I assume Michael Jordan will make an appearance based on the name. And Bugs Bunny. There you go. Uh, so let's jump over to jobs. Rob, 
Does Ping Identity have any open jobs? We do have. I have a few jobs within uh, the security team right now. We're looking to hire a GRC analyst focused on business continuity and incident response. We're looking to hire a product security engineer. That's someone with a development background who's passionate about security. And we're hiring a senior infrastructure security analyst. Uh, you know, send me a note if you're interested, and I'm happy to answer any questions. And of course, apply on the website. Uh, next, I have a job that is sort of um, in my job family. So the Zantera Travel Collection, which is an Anschutz co company, is hiring a director of information security. So if you want uh, more information on that or uh, would like an intro to the folks hiring for that job, please let me know. Next, Centura, or excuse me, not Centura, CenturyLink is hiring two different leaders. They're hiring a head of enterprise security and a head of product security. Got links to both of those in the show notes. Bank of America has a lot of jobs. A couple of those are senior manager for SSO solutions and information security engineer. You know, that SSO job, one of the requirements or one of the desired qualifications is five plus years of ping identity experience. Hey. Just saying. Uh, Elastic is hiring an information security risk management associate. Empower Retirement is looking for a principal security engineer. The U.S. Department of the Interior is hiring an IT cybersecurity specialist. And then finally, Deep Watch Whoa. is looking for a threat hunter. Could you sing baritone? I don't know, Rob. <laughs> maybe I could. Maybe, maybe we'll do that after we finish recording. Well, we made it through the news, and Alex, believe it or not, we actually have an interview this week, and I actually did it. What? I know. It's been months. It has been months, Rob. Yeah. So we glad have Howard you, Hale. Glad uh, you finally got off your butt yeah, and did know, something. Right? Uh, Howard Hale, the CISO from SCL Health, uh, came by. We talked, uh, got some really interesting information about his background and how he got to be the leader for one of the, the Colorado's biggest health providers. I look forward to hearing it. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We'll look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Mary Haynes, VP of Network Security at Charter Communications. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. Uh, this Today, this is Rob. I'm sitting down with Howard Hale. Howard, you are the, the CISO over at Exempla or SCL Health. I guess it's SCL Health, SCL excuse Health, me. Yeah. Uh, formerly Exempla, and that's the name. I don't know if that's just a Colorado thing. That's the name that kind of stick stuck with me around what you guys did or bought over it, the years. It was, it was a big brand name in the yeah. Denver area, but uh, actually Exempla was part of SCL for quite some time. We uh, Back when we were based in Lenexa, Kansas, uh, out, out in Kansas City, uh, where SCL's home office was before. Um, St. Joseph's Hospital was always part of Sisters of mm. Charity of Leavenworth Health, but they had an agree a management agreement with S with Exempla to manage the, uh, the the hospital for us out in Colorado. And then um, as time went on, there was a big need to uh, invest into St. Joseph's Hospital, rebuild that facility, which we've done. And because of that, it caused the two health systems to uh, hmm. to come together. And so we became SCL Health and moved all of our operations from Kansas City to Denver. Awesome. And that's what brought me to Denver. Well, you guys accomplished at least two great things. Uh, you, you gave birth to both of my sons at St. Joe's. <laughs> uh, so I have a couple of positive felt feelings. Hopefully you've secured their data appropriately. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't done my audit on that yet. <laughs> uh, before we dive into the security stuff, though, you know, I love to learn a little bit about the personal side, and, and I know you're, you're a coach. So talk about, about your, your background coaching um, wrestling. Yeah, so um, wrestling is uh, something that I did in high school. That was uh, one of the sports that I, that I enjoyed. And uh, when we uh, came out here to uh, Colorado, uh, my son, his name's Brett, and uh, he, he was, uh, just got out of kindergarten, so mm. he was first grade. 
um, he we were looking for just different activities to get him involved in and uh, there's a there's a youth program in where we live down in Parker Colorado uh, with Chaparral High School which is a Chaparral uh, youth program the Wolverine youth wrestling and uh, we got into got him into that and he, he's excelled he really enjoys it um, I actually got involved then in coaching the last few years uh, as one of the assistant coaches as well as being the, on their board of directors for oh, their, wow. uh, for their, their uh, for their program and so we look to uh, we have 150 right out 150 kids in the program from beginning all the way through our advanced team and our advanced team we travel around and and go to different uh, team tournaments. In fact, we just came back from uh, University of, of Nebraska Kearney in, mm. uh, in Kearney, Nebraska for a big uh, team tournament and going up against uh, programs in uh, Omaha, Nebraska through Iowa, Oklahoma, uh, Wyoming, Kansas, Colorado. We went out there and went four and one. So wow, we, congratulations. Uh, went four and uh, so it was, a, it was a great tournament for us. And, yeah. uh, Kids will be going out to Phoenix, Arizona here in a few weeks to compete again, and so, so they have a, you know, they're uh, they're a good program, and yeah. and uh, a, you know they have a lot to be proud of. And what ages are involved in the program? We go from six years old basically, all the way up through eighth grade until okay. they start high school, and so uh, basically hand them off to a high school team. Hand, at that point? Hand, the goal is that we'll hand them off to Chaparral High School, and and they'll be able to uh, continue a winning tradition there. That's fantastic. So you know. Since this is an audio podcast, we shouldn't wrestle each other right now. <laughs> but but give me give me like two or three tips for you know if I'm going to go into my first wrestling match, uh, so I so I don't get beat as quickly. What, uh, what do you got for to, me? To, so you don't get beat as quickly. Yeah, I assume I'm going to lose because I'm wrestling someone who knows how to wrestle. <laughs> okay, well I would say the first thing is is uh, you'll uh, you want to circle, so you don't want to just stand flat footed face to face to face. So you want to circle. As soon as you get the, their leg in a position that uh, is a forward position for you, you uh, what we call change levels, which is you lower your stance. You'll want to shoot in on that stance and uh, get the leg. Try and grab uh, their leg. Grab the leg, so single leg, and you know, and look to uh, take them down to the mat. And then if you just don't want to lose, just just lay on top of them and get called for stalling. <laughs> but, <laughs> so uh, that would be the that's what we would teach our uh, our first year wrestlers. Yeah. Is, Circle, stance in motion, lower your level, shot, and then once you're on top, get your two points for takedown, and then we'll work moves from there. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds good. And, and how far do you wrestle? Do you, uh, was, do you so I came from a very small town in, in Kansas. My dad was actually in the Navy, so I spent time in the Navy bases. Um, so uh, in California, so Oakland, California, San Francisco, which mm -hmm. I know uh, that's a near and dear to your heart, yeah. and uh, Alameda Air Base and in Key West, Florida. And when we moved back to, to a little town called Parsons, which is where my parents were both from, um, there isn't a whole lot of sports opportunities in a town of 10,000 in Southeast Kansas. So yeah. I didn't get to uh, wrestle actually until high school. Um, mm. I'd played baseball. Mm. Uh, that was the sport that I grew up loving and playing. And uh, I actually went out for wrestling because I was too short for basketball. Mm. So <laughs> that's uh, that's how I got into it, actually enjoyed it, and, uh, and went, you know, through high school. And, and It's not too late to start it. in high school? It's not too late. I mean, I'll tell you, in Colorado, though, there's a lot of youth, really, really strong youth uh, wrestling programs. Yeah. So chances are hard. It's probably harder here in Colorado mm -hmm. than it was for me back in Kansas because it was, uh, it, it, there just wasn't the, 
the opportunities in youth. But uh, no, you can get out there and get after it and yeah. and, uh, and and learn. It seems like in Colorado, kids or maybe more accurately, kids' parents are much more serious about their sports, and kids are not <laughs> not partially into anything, are they? No, not at all. It's and but the the thing is, is you know, I know a lot of kids specialize at young ages, and actually. Uh, we, we encourage kids to do multiple sports, yeah. develop muscle memory in a lot of different ways. Uh, wrestling is a, it's a great sport uh, from multiple, multiple reasons. Uh, first of all, it's a great team sport to be with your teammates and help, help your team, but also, you know, it's just you and the other guy across, the, across from you one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Once you hit that line, it, you know, put your toe on the line, it's, uh, it's just you against him. And so, um, you know, they learn a lot about it, it's a tough sport, physically demanding, wears you out fast, mm. and, uh, and uh, you'll always find somebody that can beat you on any day. And so they have to learn how to deal with adversity and, yeah. and, and losing as well. So, yeah, losing is such a good thing for, for everyone in life. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, you can't let it beat you twice because you got another, another match in the next round. So right. you got to get right back on it yeah. and go. Good. So. I, like the, I like that. Don't let it beat you twice. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the security side of things? Sure. Um, so how did you, you know, you, you just told a little bit about your background moving around, you know, where did you end up going to high school and or college? Yeah. Kind of so, where this started? yeah, so uh, I went, I graduated from Lebec County High School, which okay. is in Altamont, Kansas. Yeah. So I actually lived Where's in Altamont? Parsons. Altamont is very, very southeast corner of the state. Hmm. If, where, where Parsons is at is about 30 miles from the Missouri border and 30 miles from the Oklahoma border. So, uh the closest town that we could go and actually have much to do in was Joplin, Missouri. So we okay. were about 45 miles from Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, I'm just pulling up a map here because I, I don't I don't know that part of Kansas at all. <laughs> There's not much to uh, to know. So I was uh, thinking like Wichita, but that's probably quite a that's quite a ways west. One of one of the it's funny is uh, there's a Netflix uh, show I think it was on Netflix called Kodachrome, and uh, it was a Netflix movie original I believe, and the uh, the story is true and the fact that there was a it was the last place in that developed Kodak Kodachrome film, and it was a place called uh, Dwayne's Photo. And actually, I knew the I knew the family because they went, they were well known in town, and their kids went to high school the same time same time I was in high school. And it's uh, it, so if you watch that movie Kodachrome, you'll see a little bit of Parsons, Kansas uh, in it. So that's our one, I guess, uh, one of our claims of to so, fame. What population there? It was about, well, now it's around 10,000. I was there, it was okay. a little bit higher. Uh, my dad was actually a railroad engineer when he got out of the Navy, and yeah. so we, we were there for uh, for the railroad. Gotcha. So, but the railroad actually, it was Missouri, Kansas, Texas, Katy Railroad got bought by the Union Pacific, and they moved it uh, out of Parsons. And that was sort of, that was sort of when the town started. Didn't having help. A little Did yeah. not help. So, yeah. but Aldemont, Kansas is uh, about nine miles. It's a county high school, and uh, we were we were five A back then, so we were actually decent sized yeah. and uh, and uh, competed, um, you know, wrestling and, right. and uh, tennis. I played tennis there. So, <laughs> but uh, so went to uh, I went to Labette County High School, graduated there, went to the local community college, which is Labette Community College, and uh, then from there I went to Kansas State University, go Wildcats. All right. So, well, and what did you study? Uh, so I was a business finance major. Yeah. So I was uh, thought I wanted to be an accountant. Like most finance majors, were accountants that couldn't hack it, and so uh, <laughs> went over. My mom works in an accounting office, and so I thought that's what what I would do, and uh, ended up going into uh, into uh, finance, and uh, but uh, uh, ended up 
going and joining the police department. So really? I was actually a police officer. Uh, so you get your, your business finance degree and then you immediately went to the police academy? I went to that... the police. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually, well, I, I actually didn't graduate at that time. Okay. I left and went to be a police officer. My wife at the time was in school and uh, uh, both of us being in was not very financially viable. Right. So uh, she, she stayed and uh, was getting her degree and I went to be a police officer, which I was for the Riley County Police Department in Manhattan, Kansas. Okay. And, uh, worked there for about seven years actually. Yeah. So between being a police officer and detective and uh, worked there and that's actually how I got into IT. So Really? So you, you went, uh, I, I'm, I'm just surprised that that's a, a path that's open, right? Yeah. Most of the way through your degree and you go, uh, you, you go in and, and I, I, I assume you're just applying kind of, you know, competing against a bunch of other young men. And I, I showed up, how's that work? I showed up for two positions available. I applied, there was two positions available. I showed up for the first day, which was the physical agility test. Yeah. And there was 357 people there for it. Wow. 357 and for two positions. <laughs> for two positions. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I thought this is never going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work. So what was so, the secret? Uh, you know, I think part of it was, uh, um, I think just part of it was, is that uh, as I went through it, um, I was different. I think it was because I was a little bit different. I was coming from a background of, of uh, schooling and, you know, and I'd, I'd had a, you know, a business background. I'd worked in a bank mm -hmm. um, and most of the people that were trying out were, were previous military and such. Mm. And I think, I think the other guy that got hired actually was that he was previous military had just, uh, had just gotten out. And I think uh, mine was, was, it was just a little bit different. Yeah. And uh, I did well in the interview processes. So I'd love to hear, you know, how you, how you feel like that seven years of law enforcement experience kind of set you up for you know, the rest of your career? Yeah, so a uh, couple of things is one is, uh, you know, I hate, you know, I, I think really if you look at it, with, whether it's a threat actor, that's that's somebody you would think about on the streets taking advantage of victimizing people, mm -hmm. um, or a threat actor in cyberspace, you know, somebody who's doing the exact same type of thing. The thought processes are, are a lot alike. Yeah. So, um, when you when you think about people you know who just want to steal data maybe to monetize it or or some other purpose um, the, like I said there's a lot of the same thought process it's just a different way in which they go about so I think that that gives you that gave me a, a really nice insight into how to think about about uh, getting into security and why yeah. it was interesting to me um, so that was that was part of it um, a lot of the things that I saw back when I was a, a homicide detective back uh, back during my career, is it was changing uh, back then in which computers were were we didn't have the internet like we do today, and we didn't have the we didn't computers weren't the same they weren't used the same, but it was starting to evolve into that, and so mm -hmm. we were starting to see computers being more of a focus of what we needed to take from a search warrant standpoint. And, but it was before we had you know, digital forensics that we have today. And so it was kind of seeing that evolution and how we gathered evidence, how do we preserve evidence, how do we go about uh, bringing different uh, people to justice uh, who commit crimes, computers became a, a big part of it. And having, having that background, I think, uh, played, uh, played a pretty big role into my, my wanting to uh, pursue this. And how did the police kind of train you or give you the exposure you needed to gain those skills? They really, they really didn't. I was mm. helping them to find it uh, mm. back then because there wasn't, 
um, we didn't have, I mean, the best we had was Symantec Ghost back then, you mm. know, back we had sure. Ghost back then, that was about as good as it got, but it wasn't, it wasn't the type of forensic tools that we have today. Um, and the, honestly, our court systems hadn't caught up to it. I was working with our, you know, district attorney on what, what would a program like this look like. I was talking with the Kansas Bureau of Investigation and trying to bring all this together. Um, there was, there was some more advanced software that was coming out at, at the time. Um, which we were able to uh, to kind of leverage in some different ways. So if you remember back to the BT, BTK killer back in Wichita, mm -hmm. Kansas, uh, the way they caught him is he had he had he had put some stuff on a disc, uh, you know, a, a diskette, and mailed it to him. They actually had software that was able to see the metadata. Well, that was kind of unheard of. You didn't really yeah. know that there was metadata back then. And remind, so, remind me, I, I remember, we don't need to go through yeah. his crimes. I remember <laughs> I remember the story from that level, but remind me what the mailing was. Was He, he sent a diskette because he, he would taunt the police and such. Oh. And so he sent a diskette in and they, and they when they ran it through the software, yeah. they saw the metadata where he wrote it was back at the church in which he was, uh, he was a deacon. So it showed where, where showed. It had, the license exactly. was attached showed, to it. Showed, showed the data where he actually wrote that disc. Yeah. And so they were able to, to solve it in that way. And those were the kind of things that were just coming out at that time, which kind of led to, you know, to more of what we see today on yeah. how we can, how we can gain that type of evidence. And that's really what piqued my interest. I, I went to my chief uh, at the time, uh, and so Alvin Johnson, and said, this is what I think we need to be doing. I've got our DA's you know, support, and he, he supported as well. And so we started building that program hmm. and actually turned it over to uh, Detective Bradshler at the time. And uh, so he, he, had, he had taken the, the program on and, and, and did great things with it. That's great. So, you know, you were there for seven years. What was the impetus to move on? Um, well, I had an opportunity. We were building a new law enforcement center, and we didn't really have an IT department, although um, we, were, we were building this new, what we at that time considered to be this modern law enforcement center. And uh, the, uh, the setting up the infrastructure for IT within that was not going well. It was behind schedule, and, and so uh, my chief had asked me to step in and kind of program manage that and and uh, and help bring that in. And during that, it was to transition 911 services. It was moving at the time. We had one software program, which was called Spillman Data Systems, mm. which is still widely used in law enforcement. And it was all about how do we keep these services up and running during this transition, and how do we uh, how do we bring this uh, project in on time and on budget. And so I was able to do that. And uh, he offered me the job to come and build the, the IT department. And so, Were, are you still a detective I'm, at that I, point then? I, I was a detective as well. Okay. And I kind of straddled the fence with one foot on the law enforcement side, one foot on the IT side. And then uh, they offered uh, the position to be a full-time. And uh, so I went ahead and, and decided to move on and do that. And that was so uh, that at that point did you still work for the police department or were I you did. working for the okay. I worked I worked for the police department at that okay. time and I ran the, I, I built our IT program and did that for for a couple years and then I left and went to the county Riley County okay, which yeah. is over the the emergency services as well and yeah. and, and uh, ran and was director of uh, of IT for Riley County then Man, at that point that is that is not the career path many of us are going listening are no, going to go do right no, but go, that's that's, that's, that's pretty was. that's pretty fun and that's Pretty cool to have that opportunity. I think it also goes to show that you know our professions are so new mm -hmm. that you know we're, we're 
you know, 20 years ago, we were just figuring this stuff out, right? right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so much different today than what it was when I, when I very first started in IT. Yeah. Honestly, back then, security was, a far, if you had a firewall and antivirus, you were pretty well right. doing what you could do. Yeah. Well, so, so you went over to the director of technology for Riley County. It looks right. like you were there for four and a half years or so. I was. Um, any, any highlights you want to share from that time? Oh, was, you know, a lot of it was learning how to, uh, I, my, uh, who I reported to was actually a, a com the elected commission. So mm -hmm. it was uh, three elected commissioners. I'd mm -hmm. go and, and go in front of them in the press on a monthly basis and uh, give report outs on our, you know, our IT strategy and what we were doing there and how we were delivering services. You know, at that time, the big push was to move as much as we could uh, from a service perspective online. And so how we were providing services and value to our citizens, yeah. you know, in different, in different uh, online services. And we did a lot of, lot of that as well as um, how do we, how do we automate as much as we could and, and, you know, save costs wherever we could. It's no different than what we do in healthcare to be right. perfectly honest with you. And, and uh, after working, learning with, to work with elected officials and, and how do you balance uh, IT and and uh, what what the elected officials want to get done as well. It was it was just I just felt like it was time to uh, to look at, uh, at my next my next journey and yeah. that's when I uh, looked at uh, how I could get my foot into healthcare. I was interested in getting into healthcare. Yeah, I see. You know, you went to uh, was it called Chan? It was Chan Healthcare. Chan Healthcare. Yeah. But but it looks like you came in as an auditor. So that was, was. a <laughs> that's a, it's a change, right? Go right. from hands-on technology to to really reviewing other folks' stuff. And once again, that's maybe not the most you know typical path. How, how do you make not. that change? So I had done auditing work uh, as well, and so it was uh, it was like I said, I, wa I was interested in getting into healthcare. I was ready to get out of government. So I, I looked at and actually Chan reached out to me. Um, there's, they had a, uh, an opening at SCL back then. We, it was Sister of Charity of Leavenworth um, in Kansas City. What, what does Chan stand for? Chan was, uh, at the time, it was called Chan. It was short for Catholic Healthcare Auditors Network. Okay. It was a, it was a joint venture between Ascension Health and CHI, so okay. CHI based here in Denver at, at the time. And they had started an internal audit department, thought that uh, it would be good to spin it off as its own company. Mm -hmm. And it focused strictly on Catholic healthcare internal audit. And mm. that's what I did. So I hired on to Chan, which was based out of St. Louis. Um, I contracted to SCL in Kansas City, and my job was to come in and audit their project, the rollout of their first electronic health record. Mm. Wow. And so, it's a big project. It was, and it was not going well. Yeah, <laughs> so, I can imagine it's yeah, a tough one. So that was uh, that was really uh, what I did. I just uh, my entire focus was auditing their their electronic health record uh, project and program, and how they're going to roll that out to all their hospitals. I mean, this isn't that long ago. We're talking two thousand eight. Are you telling me in two thousand eight that? across their network, it was all in file folders and paper? That's that's all they were using? They, they had some, well, what they were trying to do was get to one single record. So okay. they had some different, the they like some of their hospitals, absolutely, they were using paper. Hmm. Some of them were using like a Meditech, an older Meditech system. Yeah. Um, but they had no way of sharing the record and having one common uh, health record. And yeah. so that was their goal, is that they were gonna collapse it into, at the time it was the GE Centricity um, platform and roll that out to, you know, and digitize their health record and all their ancillary systems mm -hmm. that would tie to it. And 
roll that out across their all of their hospitals and uh yeah it was it was it was tough because it was definitely not mature technology yeah. what we see today you know epic concerners are light years ahead of where we were back in 2008. Right. so you, you spent looks like three maybe four years as an auditor for chan um and then came on full-time to sel yeah How'd I, that happen? I, I promoted up uh i was actually running the internal audit department on the financial um operational coding compliance and it mm. and so i had i think it was 12 12 internal auditors that reported yeah. to me i did all the board level reporting um and uh ensured that we are we were you know doing doing what the health system needed from a risk perspective and um yes i i actually um was looking we were going through the merger so we 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 knew that the merger was coming and that uh we were going to move our offices to denver and i had an opportunity to either chan wanted me to move out and continue in my role uh as uh, as the director of internal audit and move to denver or I had an opportunity at the time. Eddie Mize was the uh, was the CISO for for Exempla, and mm -hmm. so Eddie and I uh, developed a relationship. and uh, And uh, he's a you know extremely knowledgeable and great great person. and And uh, had an opportunity to come over and and uh, build out the security operations side for Eddie. Mm. And so I thought that would be a really nice opportunity to be to to come in and work as his. Uh, as his manager, and so yeah. I, so I knew I was moving here one way or another. So I thought it would be a better opportunity. It was good for me to get back into the IT operations side, which is what I was looking to do, yeah. and come as a full-time associate, not a contracted associate with SEL. Yeah. So it looks like you were the manager of the security operations function there in 2011, 2012, working for Eddie. We've actually had Eddie on the show previously. Love that guy. Yeah, he's great. Um, and then, so you, it looks like just for a year though, what was the, what was the change after a year? Uh, Eddie left. Yeah. So, uh, Eddie, Eddie moved on. And, uh, so, um, at the time the CIO, uh, Dave Pecoraro, um, asked me to take it on as an interim role. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I did, I absolutely took it on as an interim role. And during that time I put together what I would consider to be the, you know, the next iteration of strategic planning that, uh, for the health system. And, what I thought of where I thought we needed to take the uh, the security program going forward, presented that to uh, the executive leadership at the time, and uh, they accepted it and ended up offering me the job. Awesome, awesome. That's been what like eight, oh, seven, eight years now. Seven, eight years. Oh, my yeah. goodness, it's hard to, hard to believe. It's, it goes fast. It's, it's flown by. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, how many acquisitions have you guys done in the last seven or eight years? Well, um, actually, we we have we our biggest uh, thing that we've done honestly was the merger, and then as easy you know as hard as it is to acquire, it's also hard to divest, and so we've gone through a couple divestitures. So one is that we we used to operate in California, and uh, we've left we left California, and so divesting of the properties in California uh, is a lot of work as well. Mm. And then uh, we've we've now we're um, bringing in different, uh, what we consider to be, we call our Community Connect program, which is where we, we host for different uh, community hospitals and uh, bring them into uh, our health system. Mm. And so um, we haven't had any, what I'd consider to be large acquisitions, but we have done different, um, uh, uh, different build outs, uh, new hospital like St. Joseph's during that time. We've also built out some, uh, some uh, what, our, our emergency department, we call them community hospitals, which is the kind of the mixture between the, the 
you see a lot of them now. I know like UC Health has quite a few of them around and such, but it's, it's the, the, the satellite emergency department's mm -hmm. urgent care type approach. We have those and uh, we've, we've uh, partnered with, uh, with others up in Montana as well. Yeah. How, how have you seen the security requirements change over the last you know, eight, seven years? Yeah, I think uh, probably the biggest, well, two big changes is um, the first is, is that compliance is not getting any easier yeah. and uh, it's getting more complicated. And so I'd say that, uh, you know, how we, with, with the Affordable Care Act, which everything then, that's really what started the massive migration to uh, digitization of, of health records and everything in healthcare. Um, the compliance side of that and how we, how we address that is not gotten any easier. Um, but I think probably the biggest, the biggest thing that I've seen is, is probably the velocity of change within healthcare with the Affordable Care Act. It's just everything, it just flipped, its on, flipped it on its head. And so all of the changes around, around digitizing all the health records, everything around it, um, all of that change, it's just, it just flew. Mm. And getting security in front of that has not been an easy task. And so everybody in healthcare is, you know, kind of struggles with the same thing. And that is, it's moving so fast. How do you, how do you keep up? How do you get in front of it? Um, the second thing is I think that, um, I don't know if we felt like maybe we were insulated from some, maybe some of the more advanced threats, but we, we knew that that we were no longer insulated when the anthem attack happened. Yeah. And so when that happened. What was that, 2016, 2015? I think it was like 2015 in that yeah. area. You, you knew at that point you were playing the same, the same game as the financial institutions yeah. were and such. And so I don't know if we were quite prepared at that level mm. to be able to deal with, a, with an adversary of that sophistication. And so yeah. everybody's really been working you know, to mature the programs to, to face, to be able to meet that type of threat. And uh, now I can tell you that the big one is, uh, just like everybody else is, moving everything to the cloud. How mm -hmm. do you, how do you, how do you deal with this, this new transformation to, to the cloud and, and uh, how do you, how do you get in front of all that as well? Yeah. I, I think you, you talked about the, the speed of change and how difficult it is. I don't think that's unique to healthcare. I think it's you know many sure. different organizations, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, how do you get in front of change and what are the what are the tips you use that you've seen some success with? Wow, that that's a, that's a I don't know if I don't know if I'm uh, if I'm the expert on in, ensuring that. I I can tell you this that um, we we have a our organization and what I've seen is that it's it's very much. Uh, forward thinking and it wants to it wants to be very transformational how we go about business we want to lower costs we want to bend the cost curve for our patients and we're going to do everything we can to get to that point and so IT is a big role plays a big role in that and so they understand um, they understand that and we've been very good at partnering with our uh, program management office our executive leadership to ensure that we had a seat at the table to be able to have those conversations up front, to make sure that we could design it in a way that we could be in front of it so we can allow, we can allow our organization to take advantage of those types of technologies so we're not a barrier to success, but we're actually a partner in ensuring that we can, we can uh, uh, you know, give them the technology they need so our, our physicians can practice medicine the way that they choose. And so that, that sounds much easier than what it is. It's actually, you know, it, it takes a lot because at times security 
is viewed as a, as a barrier, and that's yeah. that's we do not want that to happen. So that that partnership, um, ensuring that you're, you know, you have a seat at the table, that you're talking with you're talking with the strategy, you're talking with the infrastructure, you're talking with uh, with the program management office, ensuring that you have the right the right processes and technologies in place up front to be able to to support that that move has has worked well for me. Yeah, I. I would love to know across your organization who are the who, uh, doctors are challenging. Right? It's like it's like a I don't know how many you have. I call it a thousand mini CEOs running around, you know, who, who need to, who you know, be uh, autonomous and who, who expect to be able to do what they want to sure. do. Um, who are the biggest supporters for you inside the organization? Yeah, well, I would say a, a couple of things. It's number one that I've worked very hard for on my physician relationship. So actually, our, my physician leaders are some of my biggest supporters. Mm. So whether it's it's Dr. Vallon or Dr. Dufford, uh, you know, Dr. Luca Pony, our chief informatics officer, um, they've been very big supporters. Um, my new CIO, Craig Richardville, he, he just came here. Actually, he's right at a year. Uh, I think it was a year in February last year when he actually started. Uh, came from Atrium Health out in North Carolina. Is huge supporter, mm. and so you know he's he's very he's very much supportive of. of be in the program and then um, right down from the top. So Lydia Jumanville, our CEO, um, Mark Korth, our COO, um, CFO Janie Wade, they're, they're all big supporters. Yeah. Um, I do have a, 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 a reporting relationship to our board audit committee. Mm -hmm. And so I, I give visibility at that level as well. And so, uh, you know, I have a high level of support at the at the board level as well. And how do you how do you go about building that support? You know, I, I'm, I could say that as a default, the business doesn't think of security as an enabler. You know, that's something that has to be that has to be uh, nourished and, and really you know built on. So, how, how have you done that for those well, stakeholders? In the in the in the past, a, a lot of it was honestly going out and doing the work. It was it was meeting. It was it was talking through their pain points and challenges, working directly with uh, with our doctors, um, having them being part of our. Of, of you know our program is you know and talking to them about here's our strategy here's what we're looking at doing here's the technologies we're looking to employ how how can we how can we be complementary to your patient to your workflows uh, and not not be a barrier and and those are things that have that have paid off mm -hmm. it it really was sitting down and understanding especially with our doctors what is your what is your workflow what is your pain points and how can we be complementary because they are they they don't want anything that's going to interrupt them they have a very you know they have a very high level of uh of stress in their, their in their work anyway and so what they don't need is is uh something from a technology standpoint that's going to cause them that you know to you know to have some more barrier to them being able to get their work done and and i'd like to think we're perfect we're not rob by any stretch we we're always learning we're always we're always looking to to improve and how can we how can we simplify what we're doing? How can we uh, look at two, you know new technologies to bring in that can that can do a, a better job of what we're doing yeah. today? What do you think are going to be the biggest uh, focuses for you throughout 2020? Um, a couple things. Number one is uh, we we are looking to to accelerate our move to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So we are we are absolutely um, all in. So we've we've definitely hit the beaches and burned the boats, and we are not looking back. And so um, that's going to be a big one. I think for me, a big one, and you know, I'll, I'll give uh, give Ping the, the 
ping identity, the uh, the commercial on this one is that identity is going to be a big one. As yeah. we, how do we how do we transform our identity to, you know, to not only work with our legacy applications on prem, but how do we how do we uh, have a strong identity program into into the cloud and, and as we move forward. That's, that's going to be a big one. And do you think, when you think identity, I don't know where your role sits, do you just think about like your workforce or are you also thinking about the patients that you guys serve? Well, we do, it's actually both because our patients do do um, have a touch point into our organization yeah. through, you know, through their portal. We, we call it MyChart portal, but, you know, most healthcare has to have a portal too. So, you know, we're no different. We have one, and so we have uh, we have identity of our patients and how yeah. we, we go about uh, how do we manage that as well. Awesome. Uh, and I and I know I'm sure you you hire sometimes. I think I've seen open positions over That's, there. And we're and after this, I'm headed back to beg for more. So <laughs> there you go. So yes. So what type of roles are you looking to hire? Uh, the big the the couple that we we have. We just went through a, a restructuring and reallocation of resources within the team. So it's really, we have our, a big focus on our identity going mm -hmm. forward, a big focus on our governance risk and compliance program going forward, and then our security operations. So working on working in our SOC um, as well. And so um, we, I just promoted one of my, uh, one of my uh, managers to director. So oh, Mitzi, fantastic. Mitzi McIntyre is uh, director of security operations and identity. Congratulations, Mitzi. Yes, she's awesome. She, uh, she joined us just a little over, I guess it's right at, going to be a year here in a few more months. And she's, she's done outstanding. She's a engineer at heart. She's mm. been in IT for as long as you and I have been. So uh, she's been a great addition. And so she's bring, bring some well-needed leadership into those programs and because of that I'm looking for a new security operations manager so somebody who can run the the SOC team and, yeah. and really really look to take that program uh, forward as well and Great. so and uh, then on the governance risk and compliance side we're uh, we're always looking at good looking for good risk people uh, people who know uh, compliance HIPAA but also we're building out a data governance program across the system and uh, that's that's going to be a skill set that we're looking to yeah. to hopefully look to recruit for. And do you for those positions? Are you looking for folks who who've done it before? Or are you looking to bringing folks up who are who are new to the field and want to learn? I like both, to yeah. be honest with you. I, I like those who are seasoned and can provide some uh, you know can provide some mentorship to mm -hmm. those who. But we we definitely want to give those who uh, who you know are looking to break into the field an opportunity that we we bring them in more like a. a a level one position and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and allow them to grow. And uh, so absolutely both sides. We're, we're, I've been uh, looking at how can we can maybe forge some, some partnerships with some of our local uh, higher education yeah. as well as high schools to say, you know, how do we, how do we build a pipeline into, into our program? Uh, and what are the skills or personality traits that you'd be looking for in those so level for, one folks? Yeah, so for me, I really look, um, you know, we, we obviously want the skill sets, and, and that's something that, that helps, but, but it's also cultural fit. You know, SCL being, a, being you know, a, a not-for-profit um, healthcare, uh, our, we're a Catholic identity. Um, so we, we, you know, we have some specific uh, skill, you know, I, the culture there, we, we have to make sure it's a good fit. But you know, for the most part, um, you know, we have good luck with 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 a lot of different wide range of of, of people. But uh, the skill sets, uh, we we really like. You don't have to be an expert in you know 
TCP IP. You don't have to be an expert in threat hunting or anything like that. But if you have the ability to learn, if you really, in, in my opinion, have the curiosity to keep digging for mm -hmm. the answer, those are the things that, that I really like to see. And then if you have the education or the, or the demonstrated experience, or, you know, that, that, that is, that's outstanding. We look for them. How does a candidate demonstrate that curiosity and ability to learn? Well, a lot of it. it well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, from uh, the last person we, we just brought on, a, a Jack Prey was the name, came from the state of Colorado. He came over and joined as a, yeah. as a level two for our, he, it just, it comes out when you look at uh, what he had worked on in the past and, and how, how he had uh, approached his work. And, and he, you know, it's, it's one of those things we, we look for as far as demonstrate what projects have you been on? What, how did you, how did you progress in your career? What, you know, dig into a little bit about uh, if you have this type of issue, what, you know, what would you, what steps would you take to solve it? And, yeah. and, and, uh, and it's always that next question of, a, and then what, and then what, and then what, and then and look for, look for that type of, uh, of progression. It's, yeah. uh, it's uh, not an easy thing to, to find, as you yeah. know, skill sets out there are in high demand. So. I, it, we we all say the same thing, you know. Someone who's hungry wants to learn, and Absolutely. and I, and I've heard feedback from folks who who don't know exactly how to show those things. So that's why I'm asked, d drilling into it a little bit. Well, I think it's a great question, and it's not one that's an easy answer. I think it's almost like when you have that person in front of you that you can just see and feel that passion yeah. that they have, and and they can they can demonstrate that they they always wanted to be, you know, they wanted to be on different projects, and they they have that demonstrated. Um, success, th those are the kind of things that you're, you're looking for. Yeah, I think one of the ways that I've, one of the things that, that's always super encouraging to me is if they've contributed to open source projects oh, or they've been available in the community, if mm -hmm. you've, you know, volunteered with SecureSet to help run uh, Capture the Flag events or, you know, just, right. so, there's so many different ways, but if I ask the question, you know, what have you been doing? You should, you know, be able to list off two or three things, right? right? And and it doesn't matter all that much what they are, as long as you're able to. When I when I ask seven or eight follow up questions, you're 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 engaged and you're you're listening and interested. Um, I wanted to circle back on something you talked about how you didn't finish your bachelor's degree, but I, I think you did go back to school. Absolutely. Maybe yes. you could yeah. close the loop on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I, I did go back and uh, and and finish finish it up, and uh, and uh, so that was uh, after after my wife had. Uh, I graduated yeah. and uh, got time because I was working. I, I actually, when I went back, I actually was a detective at the time. I left being an investigator because of the fact that it didn't work into the schedule. I went back and worked midnight patrol. Oh wow! And so I worked midnight patrol and then went to class during the day. Holy smokes! <laughs> and, then, and then tried to fit time in with the family, and yeah. so it was. Uh, it was uh, you know that time, but it was well worth it. And yeah. actually, I'm. I'm, I'm working through my MBA through University of Northern Colorado as we speak. So awesome. That, so I'm uh, not quite a year away from that one. So That's great. So looking forward to doing that. That's more of just a personal goal for, yeah. of, my, of mine. I did my MBA uh, about five years ago, and that going back to school you know, after 20 years yeah. of professional experience is, is such a better such a better experience to, for me than it mm -hmm. was to go through as a, as a young person who didn't know what was going on and was just trying to get through school. Absolutely. I really, really appreciated that. I, I do too, and the, but the the problem is, is that it's been such a long time since I've had to think in that way. It took me a little bit of adjustment to get yeah. back into. Uh, Probably add five years to your life because <laughs> all of a sudden you've engaged your brain again, like it, you're it, like you're young. It, yeah, and it, it, I I would agree with that. It's it's really it's really kind of like 
the way I would say it is I, I feel like just completely engaged in a different way. Yeah. It's not just tech all the time. It's forced me to, it's forced me to kind of think differently. I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, that's great. Uh, any final stuff that you wanted to talk about that I didn't get us into? Um, no, you're, you're a, you're a San Francisco Giants fan. I'm, I'm a Kansas City Royals fan. Yeah. And, uh, we were talking, uh, baseball. So, uh, you know, we went straight back to the cellar after the 2015 uh, World Series win. We spent the... some time in the cellar the last few years too, but <laughs> but I'm still I'm still on cloud nine from 2014. Yeah, so. I am from uh, 15. I still think we should have sent Gordon from third yeah. and tied it. If we could have tied it, I think we we had a shot. But uh, um, I don't know. Are the Giants going to do any good this year? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, pretty sure the Royals aren't. So yeah. Um, no, I I've. I think last thoughts are first of all is that thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, absolutely, uh, this is a this is amazing uh, amazing podcast, and uh, I've learned a lot from the from people who've been on it and oh, blazed the trail before me on this. But I think the uh, the the thing I would say is that um, you know from a security perspective, the we are we just don't it just doesn't seem to stop changing the mm. the. The way we deliver things, the way that data is being being used, all the new ways we're going to use data going forward in healthcare. You know, whether it's you know through through giant data sets from you know from like your DNA profile that's going to follow you or or whatever. It's just it's not going to slow down. It's going to continue to accelerate. The way the where we store it's going to going to uh, continue to move to the to the cloud. The the processing the the people who need access, everything about it is is not slowing down. Mm. And I think those challenges going forward are just going to continue to grow. And I I cannot I can't imagine in ten years from now what it will be like. It's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love it. I, I'm like super excited about the idea of individualized medicine. You know, being able to create a medicine that's genetically right, right for Howard or Rob yeah. versus for everybody. And it's coming fast. I mean, you're already seeing it in cancer treatments. Yeah. So you, you will have a more personalized uh, medical treatment based on your DNA profile yeah. uh, at, at some point in the not too distant future. But put on the adversary hat, and if I can create individualized medicine for us, can I also create individualized you know, poison for yeah, us or right, you know, exactly. some, something you know, negative? And how, how, do you, how do we think about those things? All of that is in, in think about uh, how you're going to push it out to different wearables and how do you ensure that the non-repudiation of the data coming back yeah. in to ensure that the, the data is actually, uh, you know, trustworthy, trustworthy to mm -hmm. be able to make uh, life, life and death situation uh, yeah. decisions on. Yeah. So That's awesome. How much fun is that? It doesn't get much more fun than That's this. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Important for sure. All right, Howard. Well, thanks a lot for making it down here. Thank we you, appreciate Rob. it. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. And for all those listening, uh, have a great week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.